I'm not gonna lie, the art world is, um, it's really like a controlled stock market. And is that true? Are you a millionaire finger painter? And what does that mean? I made a habit of raising my prices um, like 10% when I truly couldn't keep up with the demand. Let the market tell you what it's worth. It feels like my bank account just has exactly how much money I want it to have whenever. Meanwhile, you're just doing exactly what you want to do. This is Philip Van Nostrand, and you are listening to the Epic Freelance Life Podcast. How to make more money and live an epic freelance life. Here we go. Okay, I'm really excited actually to talk to someone who I think probably is, you are one of the more remarkable people that I know, Iris. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hello. Um, my name is Iris Scott. I'm a finger painting artist working in oils out of New Mexico. Yeah. And that sounds sort of ordinary the way you just said it, but um, <laughs> I feel like your career path has been anything but ordinary. Am I wrong? It's been, it has been an interesting um, little way to get here. Yeah. It's, it's very bizarre and cool to be able to finger paint all day and have people pay you so much money to do so. Yeah. So when I was introduced to you, um, my friend or our mutual friend, Michael, said, he's like, I've got this millionaire finger painter who can be in our mastermind group. And I met you from via our mastermind group that we were in like six months ago. And, um, and is that true? Are you a millionaire finger painter? And what does that mean? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I don't know exactly how millionaire is um, measured. Do, does he, do you have to have a million dollars in the bank? Do you have to make a million dollars in a year? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. You, you, have you heard that term used for you before? And if so, yeah, like, yeah. how do you Forbes, interpret it? It was Forbes that wrote an article about that. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I mean, certainly over the last um, decade, um, it's been a lot more than a million dollars um, in sales. Yeah. And um Yes, I, I definitely am not a starving artist. Great. And so I've been on your website. Has your pricing changed in the past year or is it pretty much like a standard, like you have originals that sell for X amount of dollars and then prints that sell for another, like less, right? Right, right. So basically since, um, since I started finger painting 10 years ago, I made a habit of raising my prices um, like 10% when I truly couldn't keep up with the demand. Oh, nice. So in the beginning, they were $50, $50 paintings. <laughs> Amazing. I want to know who and, has those originals. <laughs> sorry? Oh, who has them now? Yeah. Um, a few of my friends and a lot of strangers. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what I do is um, I simply let the market tell me when it's time to raise the prices. Okay. And so, um, COVID and... sort of slowed things down a bit. So I did oh. not raise prices at all in 2020, okay. which was the first year I didn't raise prices. They just stayed the same. That's amazing. Um, I, I am now now actually looking at um, a 2020 one um, or maybe 2022 price increase again, just because my commissions list is back up to um, 12 people. And that's yeah. basically, I, I should have actually probably raised them already. Okay. So you can handle like maybe 10 at a time or something. Yeah. And then like, yeah. So, so I don't want to do the math, but are you, are you willing to share like what, what you're selling, like your bigger, 
you know, pieces for these days or? Right. So it's on the website. sell for about $6.25 per square inch, which means that a, a six by um, eight footer is around just under 45,000. Nice. Um, and yeah, that's incredible, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I want to know who taught you how to raise your prices that way, because I think a lot of artists just like stick at something that's comfortable and then either burn out or just do like spin that wheel forever. How did you know to like, how were you so business savvy early on? Well, I wasn't raised by artists or art students. Um, I um, went to art school and I did find that the education around pricing and selling was everyone was very uncomfortable about it. It was as if selling art mm. um, made it dirty. Yeah, yeah. We just did not talk about that in crits. So um, luckily, I sort of just excused that as silliness, and I listened instead to a real estate savvy uncle of mine who Ooh. said, let the market tell you what it's worth. That's so funny. This is like literally the exact same advice my father gave me. Mm. He said the the market will bear, you know, will bear whatever. Like he was a plumber and he just kept raising right. his prices until people said no. And so that was right. what he knew was like the top price, right? Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, have people that um, see the painting get sold when they were kind of thinking about buying it are so much more likely to be yeah. a quick client the next time you finish a similar piece. That's interesting. So it's so much better to um, introduce your art for $50 a piece and have every single one sell out as soon as it hits the web yeah. um, than to introduce something for $500 out of the blue because yeah. it's just going to sit, yeah, yeah. sit and sit. And what makes art sell is that people see other people gobbling it up. Yeah. Oh, you're so smart. I love this. Um, and so if, if you're listening right now and being like, who would buy a finger painting for $45,000? You need to go to her website and, and watch one of her videos because Iris Scott's art is incredible, incredible. And, um, and you've done lots of interviews like this before, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So you can find her on the web and listen to like her beginning stories and stuff and know that you're kind of known for like, a dog shaking off water kind of painting? Mm-hmm. Is that your like thing? Yeah, that, that was my first really viral um, artwork. Hmm. And then the dogs sort of account for maybe 10% or less of the actual work that sells. It's just happens to be a very viral um, yeah. image. I, I really paint landscapes and um, animals the most and cool. um, occasionally figurative work and still cool. lifes. Um, I love that. Yeah, we had talked once about getting uh, my friend Virtuous Courtesan out there and, and doing like some crazy like painted on dress project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I love collaborations. Um, that's cool. So I guess what I'm curious about now is, um, oh man, there's so many questions going through my head. First of all, I just want to say you're a very poised speaker here because we were chatting earlier and it was... <laughs> It's so funny to hear your podcast voice. I like it. <laughs> it's very academic, I think. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Funny. Yes, I'm not swearing constantly like I was in our first conversation. No, 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 no. This is great. Um, 
So you got great advice from like a, a real estate uncle. savvy uncle and then have been raising your prices. And, and oh, I guess this, this is what I wanted to ask is, were you nervous in 2020? Were you like, oh, shit, I'm not. This is the first year that I'm not getting like the high demand commissions. Like, is this over? Or what, right. What yes, I, did, I actually did have that thought in 2020. Right. When when the blank hit the fan, I was like. Uh oh, I just had two people cancel commissions. I've never had a cancellation. Wow. Right? Never. So I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> it's Armageddon. And um, the truth is, is I just, what I did is I just adjusted, you know, instead of saying, okay, um, the minimum commission anyone can ask me for is 60 by 60 inches and yeah. 25 grand. Well, instead I said, guess what, everyone? The, the new minimum is 36 by 36. Wow. And what ended up happening is it it basically flooded my um, schedule and I was right back up to busy, right? So, yeah. you know, that's what being a freelancer is all about. It's about like um, if it rains, you know, you change the style of the um, clothing you're wearing, right? Yeah. You have to... Um, change it's about adaptation it's it's yeah. about um being like, like a little coyote you know who's yeah. like watching the prey and trying to figure out like okay they're they're doing something a little different i'm gonna have to be different this is so good okay i know you said the word the name coyote because you currently are living in new mexico yes i moved to new mexico um right before um the covid thing hit yeah. Um, just it was just a coincidence that I left New York City um, for the country. Oh, mm-hmm. wait, wait. I, I live um, down a 10 mile long dirt road um, surrounded by 500 acre parcels and national forest. And That's we really, insane. truly are in the middle of nowhere. How, when was the last time you saw a coyote? Uh, a few days ago. <laughs> I love that. Um, OK, good. Yeah. So you so you adapted and um and and that's how I was gonna ask you like how do you deal with stress like that but it sounds like you're a bit of a problem solver and you kind of like put yourself in your audience's shoes maybe or you just tried something a little different right well let's define stress right okay you can say oh I'm stressed that I don't have 60 by 60 inch inch commissions coming in all the time okay well what does that really mean it's like Oh, I'm stressed. I can't pay for all this other crap I don't need. Right. So then it's like, hmm, let's meditate on all those things I really don't need. Let's get rid of them. I think that one of the the first phase of being a freelancer is that you have to understand how to love being poor. Because loving to be poor is the backup plan at all times. This is right? so, you're speaking to my soul. Yeah. Oh, good. If I lose everything right now, I have a fantasy about what that looks like. Okay. So let's just say, and I don't even know how this could happen. Let's just say every single client just changed their mind. Mm-hmm. Right. No one wanted to buy oil paintings anymore. Uh, well, okay. I'd sell my house. Mm-hmm. I would downsize completely. I would move abroad to a cheap country again, and I would sell pretty little piece, pretty little watercolors or something to tourists. And that would definitely cover my cost of life wow. because it isn't that expensive to live. Yeah. It's just, it's just not true. You're right. So 
since that's always this sort of romantic backup plan, you know, little um, setbacks aren't as scary. And so when you don't live in fear all the time, in fact, I spend a lot of time just saying to myself, la, 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 I'm a money magnet. <laughs> la, di, da, di, da. I love painting. People love my paintings. This is so great. And, and, I, and I visualize outrageous things happening to me. Okay. You know? Wow. And it all comes true. Because I'm not um, with bite, like biting my nails, imagining this like terrible world where like I yeah. make a little less money like next year. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like well, I do. Otherwise, if you whatever you fear, if you think about it a lot, if you think it matters to think about it, yeah, it will start to turn into matter. Yeah. Look at you. You're a little, um, like a little Zen Buddhist slash new age, <laughs> age uh, shaman. I like it. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you on all counts. And what I'm hearing you say is, um, one, that your identity is not necessarily tied to, like, the price tag. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's good. That's healthy because your identity comes from within, probably. Um, Mm -hmm. and therefore you can lose stuff and still be happy. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm also hearing that you have like a very flexible attitude towards like what, um, is essential in your life. Like you're an essentialist almost. Um, Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, My second favorite hobby is backpacking. I love that. Yeah, backpacking is like pure essentialism. Whatever you possibly need is on your back and that is it. Yeah, twenty yeah, twenty pounds of what you need is on your back. Um, side note, I was going to hike El Camino de Santiago in the north of Spain. Mm. Are you familiar? Mm. Very familiar. And I was going to do it in April 2020 and I had Mm. changed plans, but, um, but it's still going to happen one day and I'm so excited to have everything I need. I'm backpack for like, oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, Through hiking is just the greatest thing. And I I actually live about a mile from the Continental Divide Trail. I can actually walk to it. Cool. That's so crazy. Um, so, so I love what you're saying because in 2020, like during the pandemic, I also sort of reverted back to, um, like my, I I call it my younger frugal self. Yeah. (laughs) There was a time when I was doing like, you know, $5 footlongs from subway or whatever and sleeping on a futon in someone's garage. (laughs) And and I was like, ah, yeah, I was really happy back then too. Like I can, I can very happy tighten the belt and, um, and just kind of like hold my breath for a little bit and, uh, figure, you know, figure out where I've stored all my extra money and some Bitcoin from 2018. Yeah. Um, and, and then like make things work for a little bit and it did. And it was, I'm really proud that I came through I'm proud that I came through the pandemic not having taken out a loan, actually, and no judgment to Good those who have. But I feel like it was that was like my personal challenge. Like, I'm not gonna, go, I'm, not, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, right? Like, I can handle yeah. it. And so it sounds like um, you you made like a quick switch, and it really worked for you, which is cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. just adjust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but now you're back to kind of stasis or like what was like pre-pandemic normal. Yeah, or Iris, yeah. Right? If not now, yeah, and even better than pre-pandemic now. So so why why do you think it got better for you? Hmm. Why did it get better? Like why did it swing back to above normal instead of just normal? Um 
Gosh, I don't know. All right. Well, actually, actually, there are some things at play here. Um, So there was this interesting phenomenon during the um, pandemic where um, online sales pretty much across all industries kind of skyrocketed. Mm. And um, as an affordable print seller, also, um, people were buying prints at like Christmas level almost every day. Oh, so on your on your side. So my, they weren't buying originals, but they were buying the prints. Yeah, they weren't really buying the originals, yeah. but they were just gobbling up affordable prints. Wow. And uh, and it's because and there were theories that the reason that this was happening is because people were home and they were looking at their walls and they had time to make choices. Yeah. And um, lots of home they wanted to spruce yeah. up their houses. Yeah. So anything having to do with the home kind of went up. I think I think they said Home Depot had record earnings last year. Yeah. Um, because Big so time. many people were like, we're going to work on a home. Um, yep. that's amazing. So, so now I, I guess I want to ask this question cause I don't think people realize like how many ways you make money, but like, what are the different sources of income for you right now? And it might all just be art related, but I'm, I'm curious cause I don't think I even know. My primary, um, income is originals. Yeah. They're sold either directly to the customer who, um, contacts me through the internet or something. Mm-hmm. Then the second way is through a gallery. There's three of them. Okay. In, and then the third form of income is um, prints. Mm. And then actually there's a fourth form of income, which is greeting cards, which is a surprising amount of income. I believe how that. Little they are. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and have you, because of the success of the greeting cards, did you never think like, I don't know. I could do mugs or posters or like there's like infinite ways to like put your art on stuff, right? Yeah, there's infinite ways. And and I've stuck to um, just the prints and the greeting cards because they're not really like worn or sat on or showered with. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) And that's important (laughs) to you? (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't want my painting underneath someone's rump. Got it. Okay, this is cool. Okay. But yeah, that's really interesting. So. and and are you ever like this is a leading question because I kind of know the answer. Are you scheming up ways to have even more sources of income, or are you satisfied with that? I think that it's um, important to slow down and notice what you actually like to do. Okay. So as you get more successful as a freelancer, it's you you get really good at noticing where other markets are, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost too good at noticing where there's more money to be made. And um, it's very important to sit and get quiet and actually ask yourself what you enjoy doing. Because the answer may be like, oh, I don't enjoy, like I may not enjoy even writing a single email to a person that wants to buy a print. Yeah. Right, not one, you know. So if that's really upsetting, that has to be outsourced. I can't just keep taking on more jobs just because they make money. Sure. So, um, you're so because the alternative is you want to keep, you want to be doing stuff that makes you happy, I'm guessing. Yeah. And not only just painting, but I need to be painting paintings that are a little scary for me, right? So they can't just be, um, that's what makes you happy. That doesn't make me happy, right? That actually upsets me. <laughs> if it's sellable, it's too easy. So It can be, So yeah. what, what is a scary painting for you? Um, 
pet portraiture. Okay. That's scary. People portraiture. Uh, um, other people's ideas yeah. is very scary. That's not pleasant. Okay. Um, so I have to figure out really kind ways to say no. Oh, wait, wait. You know? I think I'm confused. So you're saying, what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to then? I try to say yes only to paintings that I think are hard and exciting. Hard and exciting. Okay. Yeah. And you say no mm-hmm. to what? I try to say no to paintings that are like too easy or not really my idea. Okay. Got it. So if someone has like a very specific landscape in mind, I'm going to be like, I'm so sorry, I can't do that, but I can try to put you in touch with someone that will. Oh, interesting. So you won't, you won't say yes to everything actually. You'll say, oh, definitely yeah. not. No. Mm-mm. And, and, and so hard and exciting could be like a portrait of like someone's animal or a person. Mm-hmm. And, um, Okay, good. And is it- oh no, hard and like exciting would be like for example, um, yeah. a skyscraper in Cambodia recently messaged me and they said we have a we have two giant originals we want for our space, oh. and um, we have something in mind. And I was like, oh gosh, what's it going <laughs> to be? It's going to be really specific. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to say no. And they said we just want your interpretation of skylight. And the country of Cambodia. Wow. And so I was like, okay. You know, I mean, they really weren't particular. So I ended up creating this really cool sort of broken glass sort of um, patchwork of different images and textures and close-ups and landscapes of Cambodia. And it's like one of my favorite paintings ever. That's amazing. Uh, are we able to see this anywhere now or? Uh, I haven't posted it yet, but it will be on my site. I'm sure by the time this interview goes live. That's incredible. Congrats. Thank you. Um, and, and so are you receiving like emails, random emails like this all the time? Yes, actually. Yes. There's in fact, um, my mom and I call it rabbits. So Uh. rabbits are, um, delightful messages or developments that have come in through email or phone calls. That's so funny. And there's yeah. there's small rabbits and there's big rabbits. And my mom always, always calls me and, and her first question instead of hello is tell me about the rabbits. Ah, no way. I love that. I actually, I get rabbits too, but I always tell people like, what a delightful text to receive this morning. Oh no, that's <laughs> yeah. a rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's from a planner who's like, Hey, I think I got a, you know, like a big retreat in St. Thomas in a couple of weeks. Like, are you, there you go. That's a rabbit. Yeah. That's a big, that could be a very big rabbit. That was actually rabbits of unusual sizes. That's a true life story. So I'm waiting to hear back if that's going to happen, but, um, that's amazing. Iris. So, um, so my next question is how does, um, a tower or like a building in Cambodia know about you? (laughs) I believe it's Facebook or Instagram. Okay. I is my guess. You and know, I, I think that ninety percent of uh, referrals are coming through social media. You have like a pretty massive following. Do you know your numbers right now on Facebook or Instagram? It's uh, it's like it's around it's around half a million across the two platforms. Okay, that's more on Facebook though, right? Or yeah, yeah. So you a have a huge more. like fan page there. Um, and do you manage that much or? Um, I I. Tr- try to do a little bit of it and, and I, I've outsourced it to a couple of family members. That's good. I'm literally on Facebook like once a month. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I, um, I have to, like, don't remember follow to check anyone. 
um, on Instagram. That Instagram is the one I actually open. Yeah. I find that following um, anyone on social media is just too darn distracting. Yeah. So you really are an essentialist. I like it. Um, yeah. Side question, I guess. Uh, do you... And tell me if this doesn't matter, but do you can... I think there's like an interesting world where you're either like a fine artist, like a pop artist, or like a something in between. I feel like you're something in between this world of right. like fine art and pop art and like, I don't know, right. looking for yeah. Target or whatever. So like, I, I don't know, like, how do you, do you, does that matter to you? Like how you identify as an artist? Because I feel like that sort of dictates what you're able to price things at, but maybe not. Well, there's this is a very interesting question. Yeah. So um, historically, um, there are all kinds of artists that are, co- there are some commercially successful artists. Yeah. There's mass appeal artists. And then there's much more obscure artists. Okay. Um, or then a- initially alienated artists. Um, and who are you? Historically speaking, the art world really loves an alienated artist first or a very unsuccessful one first, who's mm. then discovered by a small group of rich people. <laughs> Got it. And then, and then their prices shoot up in a, in a very controlled manner yeah. that is highly manipulated. Okay. So um, I'm not going to lie. The art world is riddled with... Um, uh, uh, how do you say this? Just um, say it. Be be blunt. We we know yeah. we know. It it's really like a controlled stock market. Yeah. You know, it it's it's tricky what they're doing. That's, and uh, um, if you want to learn more about it, um watch one of the many fabulous documentaries on the art world as a market. Yeah. It is um it's it's I think today the collectors have so much weight in in a way i feel like the collectors have actually become the artists Mm, um because of the way they can manipulate the market yeah but all that aside there is a saving grace which is there is a back door into the museum and that is to just become beloved by the public Mm -hmm. and over time that typically allows the artists Um, in their later years to then be accepted by the super elites, blue chip level Mm. museum level. Because they're Um, forced to, because they can't ignore you. Right. They just can't ignore it anymore. So like that is my path, right? Because um, typically, I mean, to be honest, typically at the upper, upper, upper echelon of the billionaire collector class, they, um, they don't, want to collect art that a lot of people like oh. right because they're all about being um different yeah. than everyone else right yeah yeah but the truth is humans are actually really similar um they they sort of love the same things in a way um we're all we're all one so the um artwork that i make is is a lot more joyous than you will see of probably typical um, blue chip contemporary art. Yeah, that makes sense. It just happens to be not in style. It hasn't been really in style since the mm, 50s, 40s or 50s. Your style? 
uh, joy. Oh, joy. Joy. Beauty and joy. Beauty went out of style a long time ago. So some of my collectors um, have collections with with things like Jeff Koons and Damien Hurst and all of these blue chip contemporary artists. There's a few of those collectors. That's so great. I love it. Yeah, there's a few of that. And so what's weird about me is that I'm I'm crossing over into both um, markets, which I think is a really good thing. Yeah. And what do you want for yourself? I want, well, I'll simply put, I just want to look at my own pieces and feel like it was made by another version of myself that I can't even understand. Like Mm. I want to be sort of blown back by it and, and in wonder that it exists. I love this so much. So I guess I realize like we haven't quite been talking about epic living an epic freelance life, which is the whole point of this podcast. So I want to ask. We could just edit out any of the nonsense. No, no, this about. is all good stuff. Like it's very kind of granular for me, and I like that. I, I like the process and stuff. But now that we know like how you're making money and who's buying your art and stuff, I want to know like how are you living in? Do you feel like you're living an epic freelance life? And I assume you are, because that's why I asked. Very. That. Yeah. Yeah, very much in, so. In what um, ways? Um. Well, I mean, I literally like. <laughs> I literally skip around being like, la, 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 <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> fa, la, 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 this is really happening. It is so ridiculous. Um, for me, uh, the, the epic freelance life, it feels like my bank account just has exactly how much money I want it to have whenever, like, like a magical piggy bank, right? You, you, you open the piggy bank and there it is, all the money you need you know, all the time. And then uh-huh. meanwhile, you're just, you know, doing exactly what you want to do all and, day long. And what la, is la, it, la. Yeah, but what do you, what is it exactly that you want to do all day long? And, oh, I just basically yeah. want to tinker on paintings, plan paintings, think about paintings <laughs> 24 hours a day. <laughs> Got it. Right, I'm glad you still like painting then. That's good. I do actually more and more. And and you you live on you said something about like five hundred acre parcel five hundred acre parcels of land. Did you purchase one of those? And and what's your like kind of life look like out there? Right. So I live on five hundred acres, and we're building a house. I'm working in the studio, which we built first. Okay. Um, you built I, the studio before the house. <laughs> sorry. You built the studio before the house. Yes. Got it. Yes. And, um, cause I needed to work right away. Um, I'm, I can see, you know, between six and a hundred miles in every, in 360 degrees mm. from the house, it's just massive land. And there's this interesting thing in the desert where you have this landscape of openness where you don't have like a wall of foliage bouncing your consciousness back at you. If this yeah. area draws a lot of artists. I have a theory. It's because your vision goes so far and there's mm. not too much green to bounce it back. And so you have this expansive feeling here, this yeah. growing feeling. And as soon as I landed here on um, years ago on a little uh, uh, scout to find out if I really wanted to live here, as soon as I got out of the airplane, I was like, yep, 
This wow. is the place. From New York to 100 miles in all directions, nothing. Yeah. That's so crazy. So that, that I mean, your theory might be true considering how many artists are out in Marfa, Texas, which is like a dust bowl in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yeah, right? yeah it's, there's a thing about this, I swear. There's Yeah, artists in the desert. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so, they're usually older. It, mm. It's very rare to be under 40 in um, these places, but I'm sure that'll change as um, online jobs become more and more frequent. That's interesting. Well, I do want to say one of my closest friends growing up, Bo Buck, is an incredible artist and he moved to Marfa. He must have been like 32 or 35 when he moved out there. So hmm. I, I think he's been one one of the younger guns out, out in yeah. the desert. And you too, right? Because you yeah. moved out there. When did you move out to to the desert? It was 2019, I think. Oh, okay. But you're still in your 30s there, right? Yes, 37. Are you friends with anybody out there? <laughs> yes, it's very easy to make friends out here. Okay. Um, and they range in age from like 40 to 85. That's it's so awesome. just great. There's really um, cool, old, hippie artists, intellectuals out here. Um, they range in, they're um, atomic scientists. Um, oh. all, I mean, my neighbor is a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, my other incredible. neighbor invented plexiglass. Um, okay. It's outrageous. Got it. So this is where <laughs> this is where people uh, hibernate or like escape, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you are building your dream. Well, you have your studio and you're building your dream house and you're also building a dream guest house, I guess, right? Um, yeah. Do the housing projects feel like art to you as well? Uh, actually, yes. Um, we... Um, instead of building more of a McMansion, Sasha and I decided to build more of a little jewelry box of okay, a home. Got it. And, and so small and beautiful and very old looking. And um, we used imported uh, p- palace doors ah. from like Afghanistan and uh, India. So you had doors imported from Pakistan and India, palace doors. And yeah. What else? Yeah. See, in in the. There used to be so many palaces, but now it's too expensive to maintain these palaces. So the land is getting purchased um, to build like resorts and stuff, and they're demolishing these incredible buildings. This is crazy. And some people gobble up these um, detail, this detail work, and, and they some people are you to Santa Fe, and then you buy it. Oh, so you're buying it through the intermediary. You're not one of the people yeah. who like sources it. I see. Uh huh. Um, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, um, so I've always loved really old things. So yeah. we're building a, a house that's trying to be a replica of like a 100-year-old home that maybe uh, is in um, Asia. <laughs> that's really funny. It's and, like a marriage between uh, the American Southwest and and India. I had no idea. That's yeah. really fascinating. So so when is when is the house project done and then what's next for you? Um, the, this guest house will be done um, around a month from now, mm-hmm. and um, then we'll live in there for three years, around three years, most likely start a family in that house, and then um, grow grow up, have debt paid off completely, and then start the main house. That's amazing. And the main house will be bigger and nearby? or like- Yeah, the main house will be about 400 feet away. It will mm-hmm. be... Um, three bedrooms instead of one bedroom and okay. um it will be on the edge of a cliff this is what does it have a pool 
Uh, no, I think we'll have a courtyard. Okay, cool. I'm not oh. much into maintenance of pools. God. <laughs> You're so funny. Um, so you are committed to being out there forever, it sounds like. Yes. As soon as I landed in New Mexico, I, I could visualize my very, very, very ancient self, um, my very gray, wrinkly self here That's um, so good. with beautiful, tan, wrinkly skin and some fabulous hat and linen dress. And I was like, mm-hmm, I want to die here. <laughs> um, I love that. And and are you um, traveling or are you just like in the desert all the time like how does the rest of your year look or like paint because it sounds like you, you're creating and painting like most of the time right yeah I paint um anywhere between five and seven days a week and uh if I do travel it might be to like one night at a hot spring in Colorado or something um but we can't really get away from the um site because there's too many workers to um to just manage Okay. But, um, for example, yesterday, Sasha and I, um, packed our, um, backpacks, which are about 20 pounds each. And we just walked out the back door and camped in the Canyon. Um, mm. it's it, under the stars, no tent. It's yeah. feels like you're a million miles away and it, it's very low, um, clutter to do that kind of travel. That's cool. I love that. So that's how you are living your epic freelance life. Then. Yeah, right now. And once the, once the construction project's done, we'll be free again to um, go on uh, little voyages. But uh, are you free if you constantly have commissions or how do you manage that? Well, I try to, um, I mean, I tend to hit my deadlines on time. When I yeah. tell someone that their painting will be done in nine months, it's done in nine months. Okay. And uh, if I can see that I've got, um, no trouble hitting that deadline. And I'll say, let's go, let's go somewhere. That's cool. So, okay. So if you finish early or or you like, or you build it into your schedule then, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, I have a theory about freelancers who, or people who live epic freelance lives that, that they actually, that it's not as spontaneous and wild as you might imagine, but that they actually have like sort of built in, procedures or habits in their life that um that ensure that they are living an epic freelance life for example every year on my birthday I try to go to somewhere new um doesn't have to be a new country it could just be like a new place in the states or a new city and whatever but somewhere that I've never been before just to like experience the world and um give that gift to myself I've been doing that for like six years now Mm. um do you feel, does that sound familiar to you or do you just kind of, are you more spontaneous? I would, I would suspect that freelancers are attracted to the unknown. They yeah. like um, uh, what they don't know about and they like to be a little tiny bit afraid that something yeah. won't work or be fun. Um, that's kind of what travel is about, adventure travel. Yeah. Um, Freelancing is a lot like adventure travel, except um, it just you do it nine to five. As a freelancer, I think that it's important that people understand that I don't wait around for um, inspiration or the mood to work. Uh-huh. I um, c- conveniently the the mood to work starts at ten a.m. and ends at six p.m. every day. <laughs> Got it. You know yeah, because yeah. it needs to, and if it's not. I get kind of an itchy feeling because I feel like a slacker. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so, but what are the habits that you've like cultivated in, into your year that ensures that you are like enjoying, you know, living your best life? Mm-hmm. Is it just working every day from 10 to six or is there something else? Uh, I think that, um, <laughs> you know, any little bit of traveling is just so exciting. Yeah. So, um, while I haven't done it for the last few years, um, it's usually one big international trip for like a month. See, that's what I'm backpack. talking about. And I, yeah. I've, I've been doing that every year since 2003, actually. Mm. So same thing. I added the birthday thing as like a different kind of like that's just somewhere cool. newish. But but the 2003, a new country for me every year for about two to four weeks. Yeah. Mm. Wow, you sound so, like so, you're very, um, what's the word? Uh patterned like you can stick to a really cool pattern and plan i think i, I think wish really, i could more no you're you're not wrong actually and i think it's this is only this is probably a personality thing for sure but i'm um very math minded mm-hmm. and i think i notice patterns like when they start popping up in my life like one, one year i traveled and i happened to be like in mongolia on my birthday and then the next year i was in like savannah georgia and i'd never been there on my birthday and i was like oh Two years in a row, I was somewhere new on my birthday. This right. is a thing now, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's make this a tradition. Yeah. yeah exactly. Creating traditions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I want to finish this strong with Iris. Um, last thing I was asking you about is what you, or you wanted me to ask you, what you have been consuming lately in terms of media. So tell me what has lit you up that you have been experiencing yeah. lately. Okay. Yeah. And I want to preface this by saying that... Um, so much about, I think, being a successful freelancer is is not going crazy with consumption of media. Mm. I, um, you know, stopped following people on Instagram. I really try to control my internet time because yeah. it's such a uh, sort of a vortex of attention. And yeah. the one person I have been following lately, um, and by following, I mean, I listen to her um, answer people's questions in a big room of, of an audience is a, a modern day living, um, enlightened person by the name of Byron Katie, um, American grown, um, Midwest woman who was agoraphobic and sort of snapped into enlightenment and her talking blows my mind. And I think that she (laughs) is of all the mystics I have, um, read, um, as, and all of the books on the subject, um, I find her the most accessible and easy to understand. And I see mm. differences in my life. Um, of, uh, she, she really specializes in diffusing um, fear and anxiety. And uh, I love that. It's she's like really a yeah, good spiritual stuff. speaker, teacher, and writer. And yeah. she's had a huge impact in your life. Oh, yes, yes. So mm-hmm, that's what I would recommend. I love that. So if you ever talk to Iris Scott and find her to be incredibly tranqu- tranquil and peaceful and Zen-like, you can thank Byron Katie. Damn right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, thank you, Iris. I'm glad we got to actually finish this. We were having like connection issues earlier, but uh, we did it. You did it. Um, you're amazing. And, and amazingly, I've never met you in real life. So I'm really excited for the day that I get to come out your way and see everything you've created. After. Yeah. Come make the pilgrimage, Phil. It was I a will. to talk to you. Great interviewer. And have a happy freelance day. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. <laughs>